We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Aloha, friends. Welcome to the we Layman's Lounge podcast, which is a ministry of the laymanslounge.com. Um, we do our best to bring everyday theology to encourage Christians for everyday life. So we interview professors, pastors, missionaries, scholars, writers, um, whatnot, and some of the great stuff that they've, they've dug in over time that applies to us normal, normal Christians, non-professionals. So I'm Jason Estopanol. I'm a business process analyst and a YWAMer, and I live in Kona, Hawaii. And on the other line is Joe Humphreys, an appliance salesman from Mount Vernon, Washington. Hello, Joe. Hello. I, uh, my tidbit for today is do not get a dishwasher with a heated dry element. It's overrated. <laughs> How much more money are we talking about there? Oh, so LG and Bosch make dishwashers without a heated dry and go with a Bosch. If you're getting a dishwasher, go with a Bosch. Okay. Duly yeah. noted. Thank you. Today is a legitimate friend of the Layman's Lounge since early on, Brother Pierce Taylor Hibbs. How are you, brother? Doing well. Doing well. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. Thank you. Uh, brother Hibbs wrote, um, wrote, wrote some stuff for the website. He and I like talk often on Facebook chat, and I'm so glad that we're able to get him here. Um, he's the author of several books. Um, the Speaking Trinity and His One and His Worded World: Why Language Is at the Center of Everything. Um, a book that he most recently did, "Struck Down but Not Destroyed: Living Faithfully with Anxiety." Um, and then the forthcoming is "I Hope Hard Things Happen: A Positive Take on Suffering." Yes, you heard that right. I hope hard. He said, I hope hard things happen. A positive take on suffering. He speaks from experience. He's not a theorist, but a practitioner of, I guess, sorrow and anxiety and loss and death. So brother, yeah, man, thanks for joining us, Dade. I do appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Um, did you write, I hope hard things happen by hand? <laughs> I did. It was the first book I, I, I always, you know, I always write by hand, um, in, ter in terms of having a journal. And I had never thought about doing an actual book by hand. And then I thought that might be a peaceful thing to do, you know, wake up and have some candlelight and some, some music and just sit down and not have to worry about a screen. And um, yeah, so I did it and it w I really liked it. I think I'm, I'm kind of setting a precedent. I might start doing that for the other. That is you have to, you know, you have to go back and then put it, put it into an electronic format after that. But did you yeah. use a quill? Uh, I put it, I, <laughs> did I use a quill? I didn't, I didn't use my quill. No, I had a, uh, I had a big uh, ballpoint pen. So All I'm right. sure there, was there it are, a pen? no, it was, uh, there, there's a nerdy, you know, writing company called Baron Fig that I, I get my notebooks and my pens from. So, so I had my, my Baron Fig pen and, and my notebook and just wrote away. Much, right. It was much easier to travel too. You could just grab a little notebook and a pen and you were all set. So. Oh, that's true. Baron Fig didn't get any money from that plug, by the way, folks. Nope, they didn't. Um, so brother, with, without like sort of, you know, tooting your own horn, 
why have I read that so many theologians and doctors point to your book, Struck Down But Not Destroyed, Living Faithfully with Anxiety, as literally like kind of the go-to book on anxiety for the Christian? Like, why, why do you think that's gaining traction with, with folks? Why, why your book? Um, well, it's a good question. There's a lot of, there is a lot of stuff out there on anxiety, even from Christians. I think there's some, some helpful stuff out there. Um, <clears throat> the way I feel like a lot of books are written is a writer will see a, a hole somewhere uh, in the market and, and, and that hole happens to align with his you know, experience and passions. And I've had an anxiety disorder for over 12 years. Um, so I was always really wanting to read a first person account. Um, you know, someone who actually had an anxiety disorder as a Christian and, and could walk me through what it looked like to be faithful, you know, to God in the midst of dealing with something like that. Um, and all the labels, you know, that come with it and, um, how you, how you try to work through those things biblically. So, uh, so I did, um, I did write, um, a little bit about that and, and searched and didn't find much out there. There was great resources. So I don't want to make it sound like there wasn't much, but I did not find many things that were coming from a first person account. Um, and if they were coming from a first person account, then the message was, how to get over your anxiety disorder, um, you know, how to beat your anxiety, which I think is, is a legitimate approach in, in some situations. Sure. Um, you know, there, there are people that I think go through anxiety for a season um, and, and that's what they want. You know, they, they want a resource that's going to get them over a mountain. Um, I, my situation was very different. I felt like I was I was, I actually had two realizations. The first was that, wow, this really isn't going away. You know, it's, it's been with me for a really long time and I don't know if it's going to go away. Sure. But the second realization that was probably more important for me was I started to realize in a, in a kind of twisted sense, I didn't want it to go away hmm. because it was the one thing that was teaching me things spiritually that I wouldn't, I would not learn any other way. Wow. Um, so when I would go through intense moments of anxiety, I would get so weak and so crushed and so, you know, paralyzed in, in different ways. Um, and that kind of being reduced that way, you know, as a person was the thing that opened me up to very simple, basic biblical truths. Um, you know, like when I am weak, I am strong. I ne you know, never really understood that verse, but when you are completely shut down, you know, and weak and isolated. Um, you know, I was hospitalized a few times for, for anxiety. So, you know, talking about complete, um, all systems down, mm. um, then you look at that verse very differently and you think, wow. you know, God wants me here. Um, why? Uh, but it, it did, it did make me realize over the years that when I was in that place, I was totally receptive to anything that God could be saying to me through scripture Mm. I was, I was more prayerful. Um, my, you know, just my spiritual life was, was had a very good gravitational center around God and his word. And mm. when I felt comfortable, I would start to drift from that. Um, so yeah. I, I noticed that over several years. And then I, I really got to the point where 
you know, talking to friends who would say, yeah, I really hope you beat this soon. And eventually I got to the point where I said, I don't think I want to beat this. Like I, I, God is using this to do some really good things and I don't like the way it feels. You know, I, I, I'm not going to say that I enjoy being anxious. Um, it doesn't feel good, but when I see so many examples of how God is using it to shape me to, um, to Christ in really concrete ways, you know, ways that I can learn how to better pray for my wife and, um, Mm. and talk to her, um, without waiting for my turn to speak, you know, just listening, um, you know, reaching out to, you know, to others to pray. Yeah. That's, that's, it's actually unbelievable. I mean, I believe you, but it's unbelievable that, you're actually saying that, um, that we have so much to get from you in this podcast, man here, because I feel like people will do one of two things. They'll either sort of walk away, become calloused, assume the worst, or I've heard in theory, people talk like you, but never actually do that. So I'm, I'm stoked to sort of unpack that from you, but for a moment, for the moment, I want to, I want to share with our listeners, the first line of your, of your book, because it's, as you said, you're someone who's experienced it. And mm-hmm. so like, so dear listener, this is a, this is a fellow saint who's experienced what you're experiencing now. So this is the first lines. If you're holding this book right now, I'm assuming you're clawing your way through hell or you have in the past, or you know, someone who is, I don't know where you are buried under blankets in a dark room, sitting on a bus with your body stiff as a steel gripping as stiffing as steel gripping a steering wheel like like your life dependent on it but i don't judge i've been in the worst places with my anxiety i also don't know how you are whether this is a quote quote good thing or a good day or a quote quote bad day whether your anxiety uh seems distant like a memory or coiled around your neck like a 70 pound boa constrictor but i promise i have something you need to hear in this book When it's all boiled down, the message is plain and simple. Your anxiety is not accidental. It's doing something in you. It's working. And once you find out how, you'll never see it in the same way again. So I have two thoughts on that. One, this is sort of shallow, but that was really well written. (laughs) That just sat like the the boa constrictor. Like those words are um, well put together, brother. Anyways. But that I'm sure resonates with a lot of people. I myself hasn't haven't had struggled with anxiety so much. I know Joe has, and but I know for folks who have, this is probably something that is really really encouraging. So you you sort of set the stage with the book. Where do you take us? And it sounds like not viewing it the same way again. And from what you just told us, it's you you appreciate it, you leverage it. So what are some of ex- examples that ha- that has actually taken place? Uh, yeah, I can, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I will say, uh, before, before I give the example, I'll say, I think that our, and, and I include myself in this uh, category, I think our, our instinctual response to pain and suffering is to eliminate it. And so we will, we will seek out the quickest way to do that. Um, for anxiety, you know, people uh, very quickly run to, to medication um, and we can talk about that later. That's a different subject. I, I'm always candid with people and telling them that I do, t- I, I take medication. So I'm not against doing that. Um, but we go through, you know, medication, counseling, um, 
you know, delving into psychology, um, all these good things. But the goal for most of us is I want this out as fast as I can get it out. I, I don't want to, I don't want to be in this place uh, anymore. And um, that's a, that's a very like kind of instinctive, natural response to something like anxiety uh, and to, to suffering in general. Uh, we just don't want it. Um, and so I think our instinctive response is to get it out. And what I'm trying to challenge um, readers to do it in the midst of that is say, maybe spiritually speaking, that's not the healthiest goal to have. You know, maybe, maybe God is actually opening a door for you to change in ways that you wouldn't change if you were comfortable. Um, and so maybe if you eliminate it, you might be eliminating a, a powerful tool that God can wield to do some shaping uh, in your life to, to the image of Christ. Um, so here's an example. Um, yeah, I, I feel bad if anyone is listening to this and they, they're a fan of the dental profession. I'm sorry. But I, the dentist makes me really nervous. Um, <laughs> even though a good chunk of my wife's family are, are in the dental industry. Uh, so I had to, you know, for anyone with anxiety, you, you tend to fixate on events in the future and you just perseverate um, until that moment comes when it actually starts. And then you feel a little bit ridiculous at times because it's nowhere as bad as you thought it would be. But uh, I do remember driving down the highway not too long ago um, and thinking, I'm, you know, feeling the tension building in my body, you know, as I'm driving down the highway, uh, you know, my shoulders hunching up, um, feeling, feeling like it's harder to, to swallow and breathe very familiar things for me, but still, I, still, I hate them. Um, you know, so I getting all these feelings and I thought, okay, I just, you know, wrote a book about this. I need to be able to practice this. Like I'm like, I'm encouraging other Christians to do. Yeah. So so here it is, you know, again, um, what am I going to do with all of these feelings? And um, I think that, and I've read this in other books on anxiety, that when you, when you have this approach to anxiety of trying to get it out and away from you, it almost increases the panic because you're, you're, you're flying, you're trying to do that kind of fight or flight thing. You're trying to get away from it. And if you can't get away from it, it makes you more panicked. Um, so knowing that that was the case, um, I kind of inside my head, instead of saying, no, 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 I said, yes. Okay. Um, spirit, I'm ready. You know, let's work, you know, let's do something with this. Cause I know you have it for a reason. So let's figure this out. And, and this is going to sound really probably ridiculous to some listeners, but we have a tendency, I think, to idolize the the most ridiculous things. Like we will take the, the smallest thing in life and idolize it. And at the time, I think I was actually doing that with coffee, which is, you know, such a, it's, it's a humorous to think of it now, but, you know, I love to write. So I get up real early in the morning, like, you know, four thirty, five o'clock and, um, and I drink my coffee and I, you know, feel, energized and focused and I just start writing. But I realized as I was driving down this highway that I had been hooked on coffee and I had had too much coffee that morning. And, and it was, had turned into this mini idol 
uh, that I was, you know, like giving too much attention and excitement and enthusiasm to, <clears throat> excuse me. And here I am sitting in the car, reaping the benefits of that little segment of idolatry of getting super excited to, to have too much coffee and, and too much of a good, you know, good thing gone bad. And, um, and that was that moment where I realized, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with something I don't want to deal with, but um, God is going to, you know, use this somehow. So what, what does he want to, what do you want to do? So the first thing was getting, getting me to see something that I really shouldn't have been as excited about. You know, I, I really have, you know, I'm, 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 I'm supposed to be, you know, showing others this um, beautiful, amazing, profound, deep God that I love and worship. And rather than getting super hyped up and focused on that, I'm getting excited about coffee. Um, you know, this is, so it was like a, you know, kind of a time for me to re regroup and refocus. And then it led right immediately from there. It led right into prayer. That tends to be what I do. As soon as I get super anxious, I get a list, you know, in my head and I think, okay, there's probably a bunch of people that I told I was going to pray for them. And I probably haven't prayed for them yet. And I just start going down the list and it starts to, nice. you know, take the focus off of, of that feeling of anxiety and starts to use that, that negative energy that you have in your body to a positive end. Um, so I just started praying, you know, I was praying for, you know, my boss and my wife and uh, my kids and, um, you know, all these people that are going through, you know, different experiences and, and some very hard things. And, um, and that's, that's where I stayed, you know, for the next 15 minutes until I got off the highway. And then by the time I got there, I felt less anxious, um, which is not in itself the end. I think that's really tricky. It's not, that's not like why I did it. I didn't do this thing so I could feel less anxious, but that was a side effect. I think that the main goal was I got reoriented and I lifted up in prayer a number of brothers and sisters in Christ who, who need it. That's so and, great. you know, I did, I did the thing that I should have done. Um, and just knowing that in the moment, okay, God, you, you really helped me on just a, you know, highway commute to the dental office. You helped me see what I need to be more focused on. And I got to pray for eight people. And um, I really didn't think I was going to use that half hour that way. Um, you know, I fully intended on just listening to the radio or, or doing something average, you know, that, that I would have done otherwise. So that's a, that's a quick example of uh, something like that is kind of recognizing in the moment, I hate this, but I'm not going to say no and try to run from it right away. I'm going to try to, to, to pray that hard prayer of God, what do you want to teach me right now? Um, the simple and practical. Love it, man. Yeah. Do you think it has um, something to do? I, I hate to, like try to reduce it to the like the greatest commandment of loving God and loving others. But um, in the past, when I've noticed that I'm extremely anxious, I've realized that I was a hundred percent focused on everything about me. And as soon as I like thought, okay, I have to share my testimony right now. And instead of wondering about, how I'm going to, if I'm going to come up with a smart word or, um, you know, if God's going to use me, um, as soon as I focused on other people 
and what they needed to hear and switched, just totally switched as if I was dead or something and focused on them. Do you think, um, can you speak to that? Or do you think, do you think it's much more than that? No, I think that that's definitely um, true in many cases. And I I think that what I've noticed at least is when, when you deal with anxiety, I think you have um, a hyper self-awareness. And that's even one of the symptoms they talk about in, in these books on anxiety. Like the, you're, you're just hyper, you know, vigilant about you. Like you can, you know, anything you hear and the things, you know, things that you feel and you get very, very self-focused. And I think, um, I think that that is really tough in the moment because, I mean, obviously no one wants to be told you're anxious because you're just being self-centered. Um, but, but I think in some ways that, that tends to be what we do. Like we just get really, you know, John Calvin used to say that we, um, the human soul is curved in on itself, like a C, you know, so you're, you're kind of bent in towards yourself and you can only see you. And I think that when you, when you can kind of bend the other way and start to see other people, it's really ends up being a, a win in, in two different ways. I think that you, you end up meeting those people's needs much better than you would have if you were you continuing to think about your own self-image and your own feelings. Amen. But then you also get this weight lifted off you of like, oh, I don't have to perform. Like this, this really isn't about me. Um, and if I completely make a fool of myself, God is fully equipped to use my foolishness to do what he wants to do. Um, so there's, I, I found in those moments, there's a, there's a kind of burden lifted where I feel like, okay, this is, this is actually easier to deal with because I don't have to think about um, myself as, as much. So I definitely think there's truth to that. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but um, a few minutes ago when you were talking about uh, you you were uh, reflecting on some thoughts you had, and you mentioned the spirit. You didn't mention the father. You didn't mention the son. But the way you kind of expressed that you got through the moment was through the spirit. Was that accidental, or have you uh, learned something there that would be helpful for us? Well, I do think um, I think that this that you know in in terms of how God has given us salvation and is working it out in our lives. I, I think scripture is clear that, that the spirit is um, special in the way that, that he works in Christians to conform them to the son, you know, to the, to shape their character and their behavior to the son, um, to the glory of, of the father. So I think, I think in those moments and, and for years there were people who, who said things about the, the Holy spirit being the neglected member of the Trinity. Um, but I do think that it's hard for us in some ways to, to personalize the spirit. And we, we immediately talk about Jesus and we talk about the father and the spirit is a little bit tougher for us sometimes, but the spirit is the one that Christ left his church with, you know, he is the, the one that is working in and through you to do the things that God's willed for your life. So I feel like it's, it's not an accident. I think in many cases for me, where I think this is, you know, this is a time for the spirit to work uh, in me. Um, and of course it doesn't mean that the son and the father are not working, but, uh, but that just ends up being the, the person of the Trinity that I, I focus on uh, for, in those moments. 
Um, what do you, when, when you are in the midst, like when you're in the throes of, of misery or anxiety, do you have any um, sense of what, what the father is like, how the father is viewing you? Is he like, come on, Pierce, you're better than this. Yeah. Or, or is he sorrow, like sorrowful for you? Or is he um, relating with you? Cause he was a man like what, in, in, in what, are, what are your thoughts on what, like um, the, the, the Trinity is thinking at that time in regards to you and your suffering? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, I have to be careful because now that I'm a father, there's always the temptation to read your own experiences of fatherhood into the divine relationship between God and his people. And some of those experiences I think are legitimate to, you know, with, with an analogy in place to relate. Um, and I think for me, uh, one of the early passages that I read about anxiety which a lot of people quote is, you know, from Matthew six, where it says, you know, don't be anxious about anything. Um, and then it goes through this list. And I always read that passage, assuming that God's voice was in command mode. Whoa. Like, don't be anxious, stop it. Like just stop. And, and I think that's still the way a lot of people miss, in my opinion, misread the passage. Uh, because that whole passage is in the context of where your priorities should lie. And Christ is saying your priorities should lie in the kingdom. So don't put your priorities or your focus on these other things. Uh, don't worry about those things. Focus on the kingdom and these other things will be taken care of. Um, so it wasn't for a, a long time until I, I read something from Ed Welch, who's um, another Christian counselor. And he was the first person I read who interpreted that passage and said something along the lines of, this isn't God just telling you to stop it and, and just break out of your anxiety. Um, this is God kind of saying, like a parent would say, it's okay. You, it's okay. You know, you don't have to be anxious about this. Um, and I had never thought of it that way. Good. Um, that this was, this was not someone commanding me to stop feeling, which is really hard you know, knowing, uh, knowing kids and how strong their emotions are. If I tell any of my kids to stop feeling that is, is never going to work. You know, it just, it just doesn't translate. Mm. Um, so I don't think that's what, the, what the passage is really about. And um, in, in answer to your question, I think I, I tend to hear that more consoling fatherly voice that says uh, it's okay. Like this, I, I'm in control of this. It's okay. You don't have to, you don't have to worry. I know you're going to keep worrying, you know, but you don't have to. Um, and I think having that kind of quiet consolation is more powerful in calming me down um, yeah. than it would if, if I just feel like, oh, I got to stop feeling this way because feelings don't have a on off switch, um, even though that would be nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. Yeah. so I think, I think of that part of what I get into in the book is an acronym that I um, developed called the Christ acronym. And it really is walking readers through the, the way that, you know, in Christ, you have a sympathizer, like you, you know, one of the most comforting things for me when I started dealing with anxiety was I, I picked up this book at my counselor's office and it just had a description on one of the pages of the symptoms of anxiety. And I read the description and I immediately felt better. 
And I thought, why am I, why do I feel better just from reading that? And I thought that's the first time I ever saw somebody else identify in language what I had going on inside of me and tell me that I wasn't crazy. You know, like these are the symptoms. And I thought it's not wow. just that someone else identified those things. It was someone showing empathy. Like there are others out there who are like you mm. and, and who know what this is like. And a huge element of anxiety is isolation. So you, you feel like a, like a complete crazy person. So just to have somebody else say, hey, you're not the only one who deals with this was huge. And that, I think, put me on a path to realize that, you know, Hebrews talks about Christ being a, a high priest who can sympathize with his people. And I started to think, uh, oh, yeah, Christ knows exactly how I feel. Um, and it's not like, you know, it's, it's different with God, because I think we want to say like, Christ, you know, or God know, knows in theory how we might feel, you know, he knows all of the words that describe our feelings. But it's no, no God has, you know, his knowledge is, is inexhaustible. You know, he wow. knows, he knows exactly how you feel, how your body feels, what you're thinking right now, you know, the despair that you're going through. Um, he, he knows all of it. And I think just having that as a resource to say, okay, oh, Christ, you, you know exactly where I am right now, you know, and, and as someone who fell to his knees and, you know, sweat drops of blood in a garden before he was going to be executed, mm. you know, Christ went through some pretty anxiety you know, heavy experiences. So I think in addition to focusing on the spirit who, who is working in me, it's a huge comfort to know that the son, you know, Christ actually knows what I'm feeling and knows what I'm going through. And, and that my father has, you know, has designed it this way. Like this, like I said, as you said, in the, in the excerpt you, you read, it's not accidental. Like this isn't something that like, Satan accidentally got an upper hand and, and I'm going to pray that God gets this back in his control. That's, right. that's kind of the way we feel in the moment. Like yeah. something is off the, you know, off the tracks and God needs to fix this. Mm. Um, when, when instead God is, is said all along in scripture, you know, he's got complete control. He's working all things for the good of those who love him. So well, you don't have to be, no, that's, that's encouraging. I mean, what you shared is that, that sort of that empathy. It makes me think of two questions, if I could put to you. The first one is you often hear, I feel like the default encouragement is, don't worry, God's faithful, that one-liner. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not, and this is, this is my ignorance. I really don't know what that means. He's faithful to what? Is, mm -hmm. He's not faithful to not allow you to suffer if, you know. Yeah. But you're, you know, so what, what are people saying when they're saying he is faithful? Um, and is that a good thing? And the other one, or you also might hear he is with you. And that, that overlaps a little bit with what you're saying. Like he, he, he sort of, he understands it, but what are those two helpful things? Don't worry, God is faithful and he's with you. <laughs> and then, and then after that, and we don't have to hit a lot of time on this one, but man, how can a good God allow suffering? <laughs> how, yeah. can he, how can he allow it if he could withhold it from you? And you don't got to go on long on that one, but just, just wanted to hear you hit yeah. it. Yeah, no, those are great, great points. I think, um, so what does it mean when God is faithful? I think that, uh, that there are a lot of Christians, um, po possibly, you know, I, I mean, I grew up in the church and I know for a fact that I didn't know my Bible very well, you know, up until um, going to seminary and 
you know, studying that uh, more deeply. Um, in fact, I didn't know my Bible very well until my dad died. And then I actually was forced to deal with some hard things and turned to scripture. And then I really cared about what it said. Um, but I think when people say that God is faithful, they're trying, they're probably trying to give you some consolation that even though you feel unstable and out of sorts and broken one day, this will get fixed. Um, you know, whether that's one day in your life or one day after, <laughs> after you're dead, you know, it's, they're trying to give some sense of stability. What I, what I think is often not there is an understanding of the gospel and what that means for Christians. So when I hear God is faithful, I immediately think, yes, God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to do what he said he was going to do. Uh, and when I think about that element, I think about the gospel, right? He's faithful to do what he promised to do in Christ, which is you know true. And that's been said and he's done it. But then you have Paul, you know, the apostle who comes after that time and starts laying out for us what our path is supposed to be. And it's really not a path that I think people are, are genuinely excited about. Because Paul says that, you know, that we are to share in the suffering of Christ, uh, you know, so that we might be raised with him and glorified with him. In other words, you know, Christ walked a path that was down into the valley of suffering and then up to glory. And that's our path. Um, that's, so God is going to be faithful to that word too, which means, you know, yes, you're, you're going to face really hard things. Um, in life. That's, that's kind of just a given um, when you get to the root of the gospel, especially after you've read Paul. It's kind of like, wow, this, this idea of suffering is not something that I'm supposed to dodge on my road to heaven. Like, let me, let me jump out of the way of any kind of bomb of suffering I can. Paul is, is very adamant about like, no, this, this is actually your path. Suffering is your path. You, you go right through this and um, and, and that's exactly where God wants you to go. That's where Christ went. Um, that's where the spirit's going to guide you. And that's terrifying to people. You know, that's, that's a hard message to sell in a, in a world that is really, really focused on success, you know, comfort and, um, and, and, you know, living your best life. It's, it's just, it sounds backwards. So um, I think that's what I think when I hear God is faithful, that makes sense to me, as long as I understand that to mean, God is faithful to his word. And I know that in his word, he has told me that these things are going to happen, that hard things are, are going to happen. Um, and to me, that's comforting because I feel like I, I, he, he told me ahead of time, you know, I'm not, it's not like something's going wrong here um, because I'm facing suffering. This is actually going according to plan and, and he's still, you know, in control. So that's what I think I, I wish people would understand a little bit more when they say God is faithful that yes, he is faithful, but he, he's faithful to a very, you know, a hard word, but a true word about the path that we're going to take. And it's a path that goes through suffering with Christ and, and into glory. And so if, 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 he, if, if that's what you mean when you say God is faithful, then I say, uh, amen, that still means I'm hurting. So what I really would like from you is, is actually just for you to listen. That's a, that's a huge thing, I think, for people to get. And some of the best conversations I had about anxiety are when the other person said almost nothing and they just let me, you know, spew things out. 
and so they, just, they just listened, you know, and they didn't, I think that's such an, because people want to help, you know, it's such an urge for people to try to tell you something that will make you feel better. But I have so much respect and love for friends that I've had that have just sat and listened. Um, and they don't, they don't have a solution to offer right away. Um, you know, they know what I believe about God and scripture anyway, they might offer encouragement, but, um, that but makes me think of that, that story when like Job's friends in the book of Job, like he had, you know, suffered massive loss. And then I think his friends came and gave him bad advice, but I love that first part. I think they like sat there. I don't remember, but maybe they sat there for three days yeah. silent with him. I don't yeah. know if there's a cultural thing going on there, but I'm like, I could see that. That That's some good friendship, even if they were heretics. Yeah. But, but Joe, did you, you have something, brother? Yeah. So, um, I, I'm realizing that there's a huge disconnect uh, for Christians to connect their sufferings with Christ's sufferings. Mm-hmm. And so um, I know that the father loved the son with eternal love, but he did set him on a course uh, that led to just a disgusting, terrible death. Um, he had nowhere to lay his head. And... I'm learning that that is actually what Romans, uh, Romans 8.36 says, for you were, uh, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And the, I, like Jason mentioned earlier, I've gone through a lot of uh, terrible things. Uh, many more people have gone through worse things, but um I couldn't make the connection, and I guess this is the the question. It's easy to see what the sufferings of Christ accomplished, but what do you do when you can't see what your sufferings are are accomplishing? Um, hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question, and I I don't I do think I was talking with another believer about this. I think one of the big issues that that we face in that situation is time because in, in the moment you might not be able to see anything, you know? And I think, I think of the, you know, the night that my, my, my dad passed away from cancer and he was 47 and I was with him and my three brothers and my, my mom and um, a few other people in the room with him as he was passing away, which was a, a horrifically haunting experience um, something that a, a counselor and, and my godfather later told me could have actually led to me having some PTSD type symptoms, which have rolled into anxiety. So is this night etched in my memory? Um, the only thing that I could see in that moment uh, was, was loss and absence and a sense of foreignness like what, what is this world that I'm in now where my dad is not breathing? Um, and I, I really couldn't, you know, in that moment in, in reference to time, I, I would say I could not see what the purpose of my suffering was. I couldn't see why this had to happen. Um, I can, you know, like most Christians, I can say, yeah, I want to be conformed to Christ, but not, by that, <laughs> like, there's got to be another way you can do this, you know, like, um, right. you know, so I think we just can't see it in, in the moment. But now that it is, you know, over 15 years ago, 
I look backwards, you know, later in time and I start to see like, you know what, if my father didn't die, I never would have gone to seminary. Uh, I never would have gotten involved in, you know, writing, you know, his, I think his death played a large part in me, me developing as a writer. Um, you know, and that's not to say that my dad died so that I could do those things. It's not that simple. I think that the God's plan is far more complex than we can ever understand. But we do get little, I think, kind of ladder rungs to grab onto um, where we say, okay, I, I do think I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this would have happened if, if I didn't, if I wouldn't have suffered that way. Um, but for me, it's, it's the time thing. Like in, in the moment, I think that's why people need, I think just a lot of listeners in their lives when, when suffering happens, because in the moment, everything looks dark and you can't see why would this possibly you know, happen. But as time passes, you start to have opportunities to see the decisions you're making in light of your changed character that maybe you wouldn't have made before. Mm. Um, and so f- that's been helpful to me, but, but that's hard. You know, that, ju- that just means um, you have to wait and no one wants to hear that. You know, that's, um, that's almost sounds like it's not an answer. Um, yeah. So but Peter's, that's been my experience for like, you know, the death of your father, like people like who have had like a death of their father or a close one, a child or like um, a, a spouse cheating or running off or, or like a, a you know, a diagnosis, um, something that happened once, but it's, it always rears its head. Hmm. Like, Hey Pierce, the reality is this sucky, this horrible, horrible, atrocious reality is a part of your life. And surely that, that might come up every day or every week or five times a day. Mm-hmm. What is, you know, I know it's, it's not always generic, but is there a generic truth that you could apply to that reality? Like just the reality of suffering. Like, you know what, at the end of the day, if not enough time has lapsed, I see how no good can come from this what, what, is there a certain truth that sort of carry carries you at least a little bit to, to have you hold on? Yeah. Uh, I think lately, and this is something I think I've, I've dealt with before, but, um, I would say it sounds, this sounds very strange. Uh, and this is going to probably be humorous to some people, but I was, as a kid, I was always really fascinated with native Americans and especially how they would use all the different parts of an animal, you know, to survive and to make their dwellings and all this stuff. I, I don't know why I was always so interested in that as a kid, but I think I loved the idea that nothing was ever wasted. Um, like the, like they were so, these people were so resourceful that there was nothing that was left, you know, thrown away as, as trash. Wow. And on a, a ridiculously more grand scale, I think, you know, God has told me in scripture that he has ordained everything. You know, he'll work out everything for the good of those who love him. There is nothing that will be wasted. So even though this experience, you know, to me, um, you know, for example, my, my father's early death, that seemed like such a waste at the time. You know, I thought this is a, a, a guy who's a, he's a pastor. He's trying to preach your word. Why, you know, why? Um, would he be taken out of the world at, at 47? 
it seems like a waste. Um, and others that I've dealt with, you know, we have, we have a six year old son. Um, and, and when he was in, um, his, his, you know, kindergarten class, um, one of his classmates, uh, got, got sick and, and died suddenly in about three weeks, five years old. And I, I really can't imagine that as a parent. Um, but I think, you know, I would, I would think that some, that people would look at that and say, that is such a waste. Like, why was that wasted? Um, and I think that the idea that I always come back to is there is no wasting. Like there, there, everything is going to be used to a good and honorable, um, end, you know, by the God of detail. Um, what, what might some examples of that end be? like furthering the gospel, having rest, like enjoyment of God, or like what, what some of my, I think that we're limited um, in terms of what we can see. I think some of the ways that, that, that God might be resourceful with our suffering in our, in our own personal lives, you know, internally. And then externally, we just don't know, you know, there, there are people that I've run into that have said, um, things about my dad dying that led their sister to believe in Christ, you know, because of the way that happened. And I thought, I, you know, I didn't know those things were going on outside of my own, you know, grief and suffering. So that element is kind of mysterious. I don't know what God is doing with it, but I can, I am confident that he is always doing something with it. And then in my own life, I think personally, I can see, you know, every day I think of, um, I don't know what kind of father I would be if my father hadn't died. Like that has an effect on my fatherhood. So these little moments I have with my kids where, you know, they're all, they all happen to be, you know, those rare moments when all three of them are playing together and there's no quarrel or no, and they're just enjoying life and being completely carefree. I I kind of just pause and stare at those things um, and think, wow, that is so precious. And, um, I really, I don't think I would have been able to see as much depth and value in a, in a moment like that if I didn't know with so much certainty that things don't last because we live in a world that's broken and, and where people are going to get, you know, brain tumors and spinal cancer and coronavirus. And so I think seeing the, the preciousness of the, the good gifts, even the simple moments of fatherhood, I thought, I, I really don't think I would have seen those moments the way that I do if, if my father had not died. Um, and I know for some people that probably sounds like speculation, but, uh, you know, your, your suffering and your experiences change you. And one thing that I, one quote that I always think about was not, it was not from a Christian, um, certainly not a, not a conservative Christian, but um, this kind of spiritual uh, guru writer from the uh, 20th century said that our sorrows are cavernous to joy. Like our, our sorrow kind of digs out stuff from inside of us and makes a bigger shape so that we can actually feel and experience and appreciate more because suffering has come through, you know, and, and cleared us out than we could if we never experienced any suffering. So, I think of those, those two elements more. I think of how it's, how it's changed my, my fatherhood. Um, I, you know, and then how, 
I feel like I can experience and sense and appreciate and worship on, you know, at levels that I don't think I would have been able to, if I didn't go through that, that suffering. Do you think, um, I, Paul goes to Abraham a lot, uh, as far as like the father of our faith. And it seems like, um, some of these issues are just dealt with, um, the answer is, is trusting the Lord. And I can just hear, I, I, there, there was a few years in my life where I read the Bible still every day, but I was really, really mad at God. Um, and I even told my friends I was mad at God um, because of the things he was doing. Is, do you have any like help with the, the person who hears from a non-Christian? Because a non-Christian would just be like, man, your God's a punk. Like, mm-hmm. what a jerk. He just, he could, he could make your day better. And he just chooses that you suffer. Um, we understand that because we have some morsel of faith put inside of us through God's spirit. Do you mm-hmm. have any, um, for the person who is weighed down by that idea, like, oh, God, seems like he's being a jerk to me uh it seems like he's abusing me in a sense i i mean i'm not joking there were years where nothing worked for me every way i turned it failed and i could not figure it out um i figured it out through time but what about the person now who's driving to work and is just like man i'm sick of god Mm. dragging me through this and um I don't know. I, I know we've been talking about that throughout in, in ways, but the person who's wrestling with the idea that God is a jerk for mm-hmm. what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think there's probably a lot of Christians who can relate to that, um, that experience. And I think the more that I, the more that I read and the more that I write, the more convinced I am that the most powerful truths that we have as Christians are actually very, very simple. And they are things that you can tell a child, but it takes us a lifetime to, to actually swallow them. And um, one of them is a question that I tend to, I've tried to ask myself in different times of, of suffering, but fundamental basic question and that question is, why are you here? And that question always has an answer that's being lived out. So whether people are thinking about it or not thinking about it, you are always living your life in a way that answers that question. You know, why am I here? Am I here to just enjoy myself? <clears throat> Excuse me. Then I will just find any means I can to enjoy myself. Am I here to be comfortable? Then I need, you know, I will, I will make decisions that help me get the next size up TV you know, better apartment, better house, you know, that little question is always fueling action. You know, why are you here? And I think most of us probably don't ask that question very regularly. Um, It can be very easy to fall into the way that everyone else in your culture and around you is answering that question, you know, with their daily life. They're, they're, they're trying to kind of profess what the, what the meaning is. Why are they here? And, 
if you look at it from that perspective, scripture has a very clear answer uh, that's also very simple. And it's also amazingly gracious. So the answer is you are here to be shaped to the image of Christ so that you can declare the truth of his, of his gospel and, and the coming of his kingdom. But you, you are here to be shaped to the image of Christ. And that doesn't sound very exciting to people sometimes, but when you think about who God is and you, and you pause for a moment and think, okay, what's the best possible thing that God could ever give me? Like, you know, if he gave me the greatest gift, what is the best possible thing he could ever give? And because there's no, there's nothing and no one greater than God, the best thing he could ever possibly give you is to make you more like him. And that's what he's doing by conforming you to the image of Christ. You know, he's making you more like himself. Um, not in a way that you kind of stop being a creature and start being God, but just in a way that makes you a faithful image bearer of this God who created you. Um, and I think, so I think all that to say, that little question, why am I here? I don't think that we ask that often enough. And I don't think we examine the answer that we're already giving by just living, you know, by just going through a day of, of normal activities, you are answering that question. And I think if you know that your answer to that question is to be shaped to Christ, then when you're going through really hard things, you, you have that ultimate answer there. That doesn't mean it makes it pleasurable to, you know, to, to go through the bad stuff, but you do have a purpose for it. And then you can start looking for how that purpose is being worked out. You know, maybe God wants you to work on your relationships in a a certain way. And so the failures or you know, uh, hard things you face might be leading you to opportunities to work on those relationships. Uh, I don't know, you know, it could be a a endless list of things. Um, But I think, I think from that perspective, that's a different perspective on the whole problem of evil and suffering. Like if, if the greatest thing that God could possibly give is to make you like himself. And he said that he is going to f- conform you to the image of, of his son through suffering. Hmm. then he's doing the greatest thing, you know, he could do. Now you wow. can get into the other question of why is there sin to begin with? And, and there's no theologian to my mind that's ever answered that question. Well, Joe, Joe did tackle that one, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I that's, I, tell, I will speak it in tongues later. Yeah, <laughs> I think and I will I, translate. <laughs> I think that that question is a really, you know, that's every, every person deals with that question. Every generation asks the question. And I do think part of being a biblical Christian is being at some point willing to say, there is a line, you know, between a creature and, a, and the creator. And I, there, I can't know everything. I want to know everything, but my wanting to know everything is also in many ways a wanting to be God. And I can't do that. So desperately, yes, I, I want to know, you know, in a thousand ways why my dad had to die, why I have an anxiety disorder, you know, why these people that I know of have buried their children. I, I don't, I have no ability to offer simple solutions because God is far more complex than that uh, anyway. And I, I really can't understand the mind of God, but I can get the little simple childlike message, you know, that, that he's given, which is I, I am going to use all of these horrible, terrible things 
to make you more like myself. Um, so I think that that's in a way that's as good as we'll, as we'll get. Um, but again, I think when, for people that are really in those tough times in the, in the midst of those things, in my experience, one of the best things you can do as a Christian brother or sister is just listen, you know, uh, mourn with those who are mourning, weep with those who are weeping, rejoice with those who are rejoicing, you know, um, but being with another brother or sister in Christ and just listening. Um, and if you're in the struggling position, finding a brother or sister that will listen um, is, is a really good priority to have, I think. Brother Hibbs, that's good, man. That simple and encouraging and just sort of grounded. Appreciate that. Um, I have about 12 more questions. Obviously, we'll have time for them. Joe, did you want to hit any final one or you want to let me go for it? Or? Um, you know, real quick, I I think um, a hidden sin for a lot of people is uh, if you, this is a big topic and I apologize for dumping this on you, but um, the easiest thing for a lot of people when there is stress is to have a glass of wine or to, people use alcohol for anxiety. And mm -hmm. can you speak about how that's an empty path or um, how... I'm mean, cause it, it's so easy. It, I mean, if, if yeah. you're suffering, just, you know, have a bottle of Jack Daniels or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, this, uh, yeah, that's a real, um, important topic. And I, I think in one way it's related to the, what we talked about at the outset of people going for an elimination of suffering as soon as possible. So you're dealing with, and I knew people in college, you know, who, who also dealt with anxiety and they dealt with it through drinking. Um, and, you know, first of all, I can say from their experience as well, um, that is always a temporary fix. And while you're getting the temporary fix, you are destroying your body. So that, you know, those two things are happening at the same time. Um, and I, and I do think that that, you know, that's, that is a very, very easy path to walk. Um, because especially I find in the, in the context of suffering, people want some kind of stability and the, you know, the feeling that they can get from alcohol is a stable thing. You know, they want to feel good. They think I'll get this feeling. It'll make me feel better. Um, but yeah, I do think, um, it's, you know, always, it, it's never, it's never fulfilling. Um, you know, I'm speaking from, from my experience and the experience of others, it's never, it's never a sustaining thing. It's, it's, that's, I think that was one of the realizations that other people have had that you, you can't actually keep doing this. Like you can, you know, you, you can drink yourself to death if you want and people do that, but um, it's not sustainable and it's, it's temporary. And it and usually is driving you further down in the pit. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. There's much more that could be said, but yeah. And not to be like that annoying guy, but I was thinking we could literally say that about anything, right? Like just Netflix binging in lieu of, mm -hmm. of facing the, the pain or the anxiety or eating some hamburgers or just like, you know, whatever else. Yeah. I think, and again, like we turn this, the silliest things into idols, because we want to get something that we are, are convinced God is not giving us. 
you know, we want satisfaction or comfort or relief. And we convince ourselves that God will not give us those things, or at least he won't give us those things in the way that we want them, which is usually right now. Um, And so we go to, to other places to get them. Um, So I think that's a vicious cycle that people get into, but yeah. um, Yeah. It really can be anything. It it can be, again, as, as silly as coffee uh, it could be, it can be, you know, it can be more dangerous than that as well. But I think yeah. anything that you can, that you hook your enthusiasm and passion on besides your relationship with God is, is set up to be an idol. You know, so if you're, if you're more excited about X wow. than you are about working on your relationship with God, for me, that's a, that's a telltale sign that, mm. that an idol is being formed. So good. Um, I, we're not going to have time to hit it, but I just wanted to read what you wrote in the intro. Um, you said for Christina, I'm assuming that's your wife. Is that your wife? Yes. Or, yes. For Christina, thank you for kneeling beside me when I'm struck down. And I was going to have you unpack that, but we all, we all know what that means, man. Way mm. to go, Christina. And it sounds yeah. like we got to do some kneeling with our brothers and sisters who are struck down. So, um, man, thank you for that. As we're closing out, oh man, oh, there's so much good stuff we didn't get to. But one thing that's clear, Pierce, is um, it, it's clear you didn't write this book or any of your, or the forthcoming book to sort of to like stroke your ego or make yourself known because you're literally, you're the father of resources and not just resources to like, you know, hey, check this out. Like you resources to lit- legitimately help weary saints you know come up for air and rest and so i just wanted to share some of those with the listener um he wrote to receive free downloads and connect with the author visit piercetaylorhibbs.com so for sure you guys go there i just went there right before and it said hey i actually want to have a relationship with you my readers you know what i mean so so you guys go to pierce taylor hibbs p-i-e-r-c-e taylor hibbs h-i-b-b-s um I saw this, that there's reader, reader resources. You have a face group that has been a face Facebook group that's been created. And I already know that that would be huge. So you could reach out to brother Hibbs on that. Um, and then this last part, you said, you want to connect with me and grow in your spiritual development. You can join my email list to get free downloads that will help. And maybe you'll pick up some, some inspiration on the way um, and, and all that sort of stuff. So brother, like, thanks for, you don't seem like a guy who's trying to like get his name out there. You're trying to get truth out there. And so totally very much appreciate that. Um, when are we expecting? I hope the, the next book, I hope hard things happen. A positive take on the suffering. When, when is that coming out? Uh, probably maybe halfway through August, maybe second or third week of August. It'll, it'll be out. And the, okay. the basic thesis of that book is, the hard things in your life are going to shape you in ways that easy things can't. Good brother. Well, we thank you. And I encourage everybody to go, like we said, go to piercetaylorhibbs.com sign up on the email list at, um, at least so you can know when that book's coming out and the other sort of stuff, brother, thanks for bearing your soul and wearing your heart on your sleeve for us. Yeah. I'm happy, happy to help other brothers and sisters in Christ. It was really fun to talk with you guys. We came for salvation. We came for family, we came for all that's good, that's how we'll walk away.
We came to break the bad. We came to cheer the sad. We came to. Leave.